This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the latest stats from the Department of Labor show we have entered uncharted territory. Florida now has an unemployment rate of 12.9%, the highest since they started the current counting system back in the 1970s. There are at least 1,218,000 jobless Floridians, more than any time in state history. We'll hear the governor's reaction to those numbers during another deep dive on Florida's unemployment foobar. The governor is not letting those jobless numbers dampen his enthusiasm for reopening the state. He says it's okay to send the kids off to summer camp, sports, and other activities to get them out of the house and back in their social circles. The Tallahassee woman who was fired by the health department after she went public with her concerns about manipulating the data on COVID-19 does her first interview since being thrown under the bus by the governor. Ron DeSantis says she was fired for insubordination, but Rebecca Jones told CNN she was canned for refusing to change the stats to match the governor's desire to reopen smaller counties that did not meet the technical guidelines for reopening. The DeSantis administration loses another legal battle over the voting rights of former felons. A federal judge says the state cannot demand payment from ex-cons to get their voting rights restored if they simply don't have the money. And he's not talking just restitution here. The judge says court fines and fees are also a tax and as such cannot be a precondition to the restoration of voting rights. We'll also check out your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who was arrested for trying to go home. Well, actually for kidnapping, but that would be giving it away. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, May 26th. As most people were enjoying the Memorial Day holiday, healthcare workers continued the grim task of caring for the victims of COVID-19. On Monday, the state health department reported there have been a total of 2,331 fatalities so far in Florida, the number of confirmed cases of coronavirus closing in on 52,000. The coronavirus is still out there, but Governor Ron DeSantis says it is safe enough to let the kids out for the summer. Effective immediately, uh, Florida will be lifting all restrictions on youth activities, including uh, summer camp and athletics. Uh, we believe that, um, that this is, uh, that makes sense based on the, the data and observed experience. Uh, we are not going to be instituting um, a lot of rules or really any rules. The Department of Health will put some questions uh, that people have questions. They'll have some Q&As put up, some other things, maybe some best practices. But at the end of the day, you know, we trust parents to be able to make decisions in conjunction with physicians and community leaders and coaches uh, to be able to do these activities in a way that are safe. But I think our kids have been out of organized activities for a couple months now, um, and I think that, that we need to have a pathway to get it back. The governor made that announcement in Jacksonville, where Mayor Lenny Curry says parents are yearning to get the kids out of the house and away from the tube. I think it's important that we let kids be kids. Uh, and again, parents and coaches and local leaders, those of us use our best judgment to make sure we do it in a way that is safe. But let's use data and facts and let's kid be ki let's let kids be kids. Quick reminder, the virus is still with us. With more testing, you'll see uh, raw numbers go up. We watch the percentages. You will see hospitalizations while this virus is with us. Uh, we, we just can't live in a perpetual lockdown. We've got to be smart about this. We've got to let kids be kids, and we've got to get back to a sense of uh, this economy functioning. Uh, there's a real demand out there and a yearning to get kids into sports and activities and out of the house and back in routines and uh, off of television and, and, and handheld devices, et cetera. So I think that this is a really important step for the health and well-being of our kids and our families. 
DeSantis even brought his family pediatrician along so she could assure parents it's safe as long as they take precautions. Dr. Bonnie White says the kids need to get outside even if they do have to wear masks. It's imperative that we don't forget the children. Uh, they have been home for three months um, with no social interaction. We don't see them at the grocery stores with their moms on Saturdays. We don't hear them playing outside in the neighborhoods. Uh, and if they're lucky, they get to see their classmates at a virtual school conference, or they might see their classmate who's driving by with the parent as they're waving, singing happy birthday. So thank goodness we've got some social media, but it's really important that we get our kids um, socializing again. They need to see their friends. They need to be outside running around and be active. They need to be able to laugh with their friends. And they need to explore and learn from um, all the talented teachers that we have out there. Uh, so um, if summer camps and um, sports camps open this summer, they obviously have to follow the strict precautions that have been recommended. The temperature checks, the good hand washing, possibly the wearing the masks, the social distancing, as well as the uh, parental due diligence. If your child is sick, stay home. Uh, if you um, if you decide not to have your child go to a summer camp, it's also important that they get outside and play with the neighborhood kids. We're seeing lots of kids coming in with anxiety issues and depression, and I think that's because they have, they've been isolating um, themselves. Obviously, I'm asking all parents to set an example and abide by the evidence-based advice that we're getting from the experts to wear the and to follow the professional, I mean the personal protection. If schools open in the fall, they also need to follow these same precautions and then possibly change as we learn more about, about this uh, horrible virus. But it's time for our kids to get back to their new normal and it's time to safely allow kids to be kids. Now, on its face, this sounds a little odd. It's almost like we're throwing the kids out there as guinea pigs to see if it's safe for the rest of us. But Governor DeSantis says they are the least vulnerable among us. We in the state of Florida have observed zero fatalities under the age of 25 throughout the entire course of the pandemic. I think it's also important to point out some of the things that we've now observed. When, when the whole pandemic started and, and the country moved into mitigation, uh, the schools went to distance learning here in Florida and many other parts of the, of the country. There was some known about it. I think it was pretty clear that kids were less likely to suffer serious clinical outcomes from this than, than elderly were. It really wasn't known what role kids would play in terms of vectors of transmission. So I think there was a lot of concern that was understandable that maybe the kids uh, aren't going to suffer generally negative outcomes, but maybe they could infect teachers or parents or whatnot. So, so the distance learning, I think, was premised on that. And it was basically using an influenza model. With influenza, if you have an outbreak, the kids in schools, they, they uh, meet together, intermingle. It's kind of a Petri dish. It can get spread, and then they can be really major vectors for community transition of influenza. Um, I think what we've seen is, is that's probably not exactly how this coronavirus has ended up working out. Now, it's important to point out to folks, uh, kids are not immune from this. I mean, some kids have been infected, um, and some kids have um, ended up uh, you know, cl cl critically ill. There have been some, not a lot in the United States, um, who, who have died. Um, I think, though, the data is 
pretty clear that for whatever reason, kids don't seem to get infected at the same rates that some other adults get infected. Um, and I also think it's pretty clear, and CDC just put something out about this, that kids are at much less risk for hospitalizations than they would be during the typical flu season. CDC put out in its most recent update, kids are much less likely to be hospitalized due to COVID than at similar points in the influenza season. Uh, so that's just something to put in perspective for folks. And if you look at all the studies that have been done in particularly a lot of countries in Europe, you have Iceland, you have Switzerland, you have the Netherlands, so look at Sweden, and then Australia even has looked at this, that um, kids don't seem to be major vectors of transmission. Most of the epidemiological investigations those countries have done in their studies have found that kids usually will get infected by adults. They didn't find as many uh, examples of kids infecting adults. And again, th this is still a novel virus. You have these studies that are being undertaken. It's, um, I think the evidence all points in, in that direction. Um, and I would also know we kept daycares open in the state of Florida. CDC had recommended that those be closed. I didn't practically see a way that you could close daycares given we have so many healthcare workers who rely on it. And uh, we didn't see you know, any major problems uh, with the daycares. The woman who was fired for raising concerns about manipulation of data on the state's COVID-19 reporting system gets the chance to tell her side of the story. Rebecca Jones was a guest on CNN where she told Chris Cuomo she was fired for refusing to fudge the numbers for rural counties to make sure they could reopen on the governor's schedule. The state says she was fired for insubordination. Jones says she was only doing her job. We are doing well. Uh, we are doing much better than a lot of other states and certainly a lot better than people expected Florida to do, considering that we had spring break open and, you know, as you said, relate to the game. And that is something that I've defended and championed for the governor and our health department the entire time I was working on this project was how well we were doing. Um, but now it's impossible to know how reliable that data is because they changed the way the data is calculated. They changed how they record the data and how they publish it. And data continues to go missing from the website when the uh, dashboard now crashes all the time. So when I offered good faith statistical methods to account for rural counties, um, because a yes or no, this county meets this criteria is a little strict. I offered to do a couple of different statistical methods. You know, my background is in climatology averaging things out with variability to distinguish trends is kind of our you know bread and butter and they said no they said they were going to exempt counties with a population of less than 75,000 entirely from the criteria that would be applied to every other county um, and then they decided to change the way that they calculated the number of positive or the percent positive of people so yes if refusing to mislead the public during a health crisis is insubordination, then I will wear that badge with honor. Uh, none of the methodology that I was being asked to apply, which really wasn't based on any statistically sound methodology at all, was not science. They were asking me to manually go in and basically type yes or no, this county meets it, with any real risk assessment as to whether or not that county should. There may be plenty of rural counties that were perfectly safe to reopen, that we will now never know because the numbers were manipulated. 
Florida set a record in April with the largest one-month jump in the unemployment rate ever recorded for the Sunshine State. The official jobless rate is now 12.9 percent and is probably higher by now since so many more people have been able to file for unemployment since the April figures were compiled. So once again, Governor Ron DeSantis is having to answer questions about the unemployment compensation train wreck in the Sunshine State. So we've now paid out about $2.8 billion in the last 10 weeks. So that's more than the state of Florida paid out in the previous five years combined. So we're getting close to having paid a million applicants. I think for sure by the time the weekend's over, we'll be, we'll be over that. As I think most of you know, uh, we basically had a million uh, unemployed uh, year over year ad for, uh, by the end of last month. So, uh, so it's been a really, really top priority to be able uh, to do it. Now, there have been some folks uh, who, who had some problems with applications. DEO has worked with them to try to get that in good order, and obviously we want to help as many people as we can. I'm also looking at what they're going to do in this next federal bill, and one of the things, the ideas that are floated around, which I think would make sense is, because you know you had people that were, were laid off because of the mitigation, who probably could go back to work pretty soon uh, if the industry gets back up, um, but may not have the financial incentive to do it. So I think they should consider letting people take a full lump sum. Like if they are entitled to a certain amount of money over however many weeks, just give it to them and then let people go back to work so they get the big lump sum unemployment and they can go back to work and make money that way. That could create a good incentive to get people back in the workforce. So I know that's been talked about a little bit in Washington, and I think it makes sense. Yeah, technically, not everyone would need to exhaust the unemployment. Maybe they would go back to work sooner, but you remove any of the concerns about any disincentives. And so I think that they should consider that. And I think a lot of workers would really appreciate it. Drew Dixon from FloridaPolitics.com. 12.9% unemployment rate released today. Your reaction to that? Do you think that's the peak? Are you bracing for more? Well, obviously, we, we knew it was going to be uh, significant, significant, and so it's, it's been uh, really difficult. I remember when the mitigation started getting the unemployment uh, report, which we knew was going to change very quickly, but it was 2.8% uh, just uh, two months ago in terms of the report, and then for this one. So I think what we have to do, and one of the reasons why I wanted to do a safe, smart, step-by-step -step approach to recovery, is that if we can get people back to work, get some confidence back in the communities, um, you'll start to see, uh, hopefully, a lot of these jobs be recovered. I mean, you look at some of them, just look at the theme parks. You know, that's over 100,000 jobs just from the theme parks. We now, I think Universal has submitted a plan to reopen, and it was endorsed by Orange County. So I'm going to be reviewing that. We met with the vice president. We had Disney, SeaWorld, all those others. So there's definitely a path to get a lot of those people back to work, and that's what we have to do. And so that's why our whole plan is built on obviously keeping people safe and making sure that we're doing what it takes to protect our nursing homes, long-term care facilities, all that with respect to the virus, but, but understanding that this, the na this national mitigation that happened has come at a major, major cost. And um, we've got to work hard to get it back going. So I'd like to see the economy bounce back as quickly as possible. But I also know it's just not that simple. There's confidence. There's other things. Some of these businesses, even with a PPP loan, some of them got loans from the state. 
still is very difficult. You're going to have businesses that probably aren't going to be able to open again. Now we're going to be working on some other small business aid that may make a difference there. But uh, but but it's a it's a it's a dramatic change. We've never seen a change this dramatic this quick probably in American history. Uh, my hope is though is that as states like Florida, Texas, others move forward, um, that, that we can kind of help lead the way in recovery. The governor was speaking Friday at a press conference in Jacksonville. A federal judge in Tallahassee strikes down major parts of a state law requiring former felons to pay court-ordered legal financial obligations before they can vote. That decision by U.S. District Judge Robert Hinkle opens the door for hundreds of thousands of convicted felons to join Florida's voting rolls. The law in dispute was approved by Republicans in a party-line vote last year. It requires felons who have completed their time behind bars to pay fees, fines, costs, and restitution before they can cast a ballot. There are about one million Floridians who have done their time, but three-quarters of them don't have the money to pay off their legal debts and would not be able to vote under the new law, which the judge described as an unconstitutional pay-to-vote system. Hinkle's order also found that felons cannot be required to pay court-ordered fees and costs, which he decided are unconstitutional taxes. The governor's office is certain to appeal that decision, but nothing official yet from DeSantis. Your calendar of events begins at 8 a.m. That's when the Department of Transportation provides an online update of project development and environmental studies for Interstate 10 improvements near Tallahassee. A Leon County Circuit judge hears arguments in a lawsuit this morning over the state's beleaguered unemployment compensation system. This is at 9. People who've lost their jobs during the pandemic have filed a potential class action lawsuit against the Florida Department of Economic Opportunity and Deloitte Consulting, a contractor that helped set up the online system back in 2013. The College of Central Florida Board of Trustees holds a conference call at 9. The Broward College Board of Trustees holds an online meeting at 1. A Leon County Circuit judge will hold a telephone hearing in a lawsuit about whether a candidate to become state attorney in the Gainesville area should be blocked from the November ballot. The Republican candidate wants the Democrat barred from the ballot because of a 15-day suspension she received in December. The Northwest Florida State College Board of Trustees holds an online budget workshop at 3. State Representative Mike Caruso of Delray Beach speaks at 6 during an online meeting of the Republican Federated Women of South Florida. And Congressman Charlie Crist will join State Senator Daryl Rousson for a telephone town hall meeting to discuss issues related to COVID-19 beginning at 6.20 this evening. And finally, it's time to check in with Florida Man, who is a bit like E.T. in a way. He only wanted to go home. Authorities in Monroe County say a Florida man who was trying to get home but did not have the proper paperwork abducted a teenager from the parking lot of a public supermarket and then forced her to drive him and his girlfriend past a law enforcement checkpoint. The Florida Keys have been closed to visitors since March 22nd, and 37-year-old Alexander Sardinas was stopped at the checkpoint on US-1 because he and his companion did not have proof they lived or worked in the Keys. Investigators say they still managed to get in by kidnapping a 17-year-old girl who had a car with the proper hurricane reentry sticker and a Monroe County license plate that would get her through the checkpoints. Sardinas is charged with kidnapping and false imprisonment. His girlfriend has not been charged, but the investigation is still underway. But you know, if they had waited a week, none of this would have happened. Travel restrictions in the Keys are being lifted on the 1st of June. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.